It is good to be together again on this first day of the week. So glad to see all who've come out this evening to honor the God of heaven and to praise his name in songs we've just sung, a, a song of, really it's a prayer, uh, suggesting to God, pleading with God to help us be evangelistic. And that indeed is our lesson for this evening, praying evangelistically. Combining prayer and the gospel combines two of the most powerful things there are. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here, Paul uses the word power. In the Greek, it's dunamis. It is the miracle power of God. It is sometimes actually a word that is translated in our Bibles as miracle. The gospel is the miracle that Christ came to this earth, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross of Calvary, was raised from the dead. Miracle all around it, right? And that his life and his death and his resurrection can save you from your sins eternally. The gospel is God's power to salvation. What a powerful thing the gospel is. And then, what a powerful thing prayer is, right? When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about that which we evangelize with. It is the, uh, in the Greek language, it's evangelism and evangelist and gospel all come from the same word. But prayer coupled with evangelism, gospelizing, if you will, just adds the power of prayer to all of that. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So you've got the power of God to salvation, and you've got the effective fervent prayers of righteous people combining together when we pray evangelistically. That's what happens in Matthew chapter, Acts rather, chapter 13 and verse 3, where Paul and Barnabas are sent out on a journey to evangelize. And the text tells us the church in Antioch, as they sent them out, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them away. Having fasted and prayed. The very beginning of this very successful, wonderful mission that Paul and Barnabas go on began with prayer. And so here's a church praying evangelistically from the get-go of that particular successful effort of evangelism. And I think we can learn something about that in our day and time as well. So let's, let's think about praying evangelistically like the church in Antioch did. Praying that there will be evangelists. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37 to his disciples that the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Not a problem uh, of the harvest. There's plenty to harvest. But the problem is the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. So who's going to take the gospel? Let's pray about, let's pray about the Lord sending those into the fields to take the gospel to harvest the souls of men for his salvation. Often when we pray evangelistically, we pray for the unsaved, and that's appropriate. We'll talk about that some more in just a little bit. We pray for the lost. That's not wrong. 
But here Jesus is is teaching us to pray for the saved to be sent to the unsaved. In Romans chapter 10, Paul seems to echo that kind of sentiment when he talks about the value of the evangelist or the preacher or the one who takes the message. And as we talk about, use those words, sometimes in Scripture, uh, the preacher is the public proclaimer of the word. He stands before an audience or the assembly. uh, And that's what I'm doing now. But the word uh, evangelize, and sometimes that's translated preacher or preaching, really doesn't have that public component with it. It only has the idea of sharing the gospel. So when we talk about praying for evangelists, don't think about praying for there to be more people like Steve. Pray for there to be more people like you if you're one who shares the gospel, you see. Because, as we'll see in a little bit, we all have a part to play in sharing the gospel, in evangelizing. But notice then, in Romans chapter 10, in verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel is the glad tidings. It's the good news of the story of salvation through Jesus Christ. We all need to be taking that. We all need to be praying that others will take that in their lives day by day, wherever they go. The idea of being sent, how shall they be sent? How shall they preach unless they be sent? Well, God sends us. You don't have to be sent across the globe You can be sent to your next door neighbor. And we all are, aren't we? Sent to people that we meet day by day in the sense of we're carriers of the gospel. And we're supposed to be sharing that with others. So when we pray evangelistically, let's pray for laborers, and that would include all true disciples of Christ. Let's pray for laborers to go out into the harvest. Let's not see it just as praying for more public proclaimers of the gospel. And I do, I do believe we need more of those. But we need everyone to see their role in spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for evangelists that they may be delivered from being troubled by Satan's servants because Satan is always going to put, try to put roadblocks in the way of those who are going to spread the gospel, whether it's next door or around the world. Satan will always try to do something to hinder you, to uh, misdirect your attention, to get in your way of accomplishing what it is that God wants you to do in sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, uh, pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for for all do not have faith. Paul recognized that there were people who were going to try to stop him from doing what he was doing. The Thessalonians knew very well about that. You might remember the account of Paul's visit to Thessalonica. There was quite an uproar there, and he had to be whisked out of the city for his own safety. And he really writes 1 and 2 Thessalonians because he didn't get, enough, he didn't get to spend enough time with those people once they were converted. And indeed, Satan was trying to keep the gospel from growing in Thessalonica, but his, his attempts were thwarted by the efforts of the Apostle Paul, 
Timothy and others who went back, Paul's writing back, and certainly the work of God and his providence, and the reception of the Thessalonians of the gospel itself. But my point is, Satan was doing his best or worst, depending on how you think about it. He was doing all that he could to stop the gospel from being spread and preached. Paul tells the Romans in Romans chapter 15, as he writes to them along the same line, he says, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So he's asking them to not just pray, but to strive together with him in his prayers for himself. Paul is an apostle, preacher, and evangelist. He prays for himself along that line, but he wants the saints in Rome to pray for him as well. Strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. As Paul writes to the Romans, he anticipates sometime in his future life being able to visit Rome and encourage the saints there. He had not been there as an evangelist yet. And so he's saying, you pray for me. I'm, I'm about to go to Judea. I'm about to go to Jerusalem. In fact, he'd been talking about delivering um, a contribution for the poor saints in, in, in Ju Jerusalem. That's what he was going to do. But he wants them to pray, and I'm sure they did, that, that he would be delivered from those who would hinder his cause. Now, we know the rest of the story uh, for all of you old Paul Harvey fans. Uh, Paul, as he wrote that, didn't know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is this. Paul did get to deliver that contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. Paul was, in fact, hindered, we would think, from preaching the gospel like he would like because on that visit, he was mobbed by the Jews. He was arrested. There was a plot to kill him. He was eventually taken to Caesarea. And there, eventually, after two years in prison... He appealed to Caesar, and he was shipped to Rome. God, God got Paul to Rome, but probably not the way he was thinking about. And he did not let Satan hinder his purposes, although Satan sure tried, and there were hindrances, but everything was overcome by the power and the providence and the grace of God. And I have no doubt, as you think about it, again, we have, we have the... Um, advantage of being able to know the whole story. Paul, when he's writing this to the Romans, he, he didn't know how it would work out. But it all worked out beautifully, really. The gospel was preached in Rome and lots of other places as well because of the way that God used hindrances, you might think, being arrested, being put on trial, being even threatened with death. And yet Paul's preaching the gospel all over the world because of those so-called hindrances. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't look at things like we do all the time. But we do learn from this, I believe, something about the power of prayer. How God caused all of that to happen in his way and didn't let Satan stop Paul from doing what God intended for him to do. He won't stop us either. If God intends for us to do it and we're willing to do it and we pray that it be done, 
It will be done. Although maybe not in the way we think. That's the power of prayer. Are we praying for ourselves evangelistically? Are we asking others to pray for us? Are we praying for others when it comes to spreading the gospel and the opportunities that others have or may have? We're to pray for evangelists that they may speak the gospel clearly and courageously without self-regard. Paul asked the Colossians concerning this in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Elsewhere, he asked others to pray for his boldness to speak God's word. We need to be praying for evangelists that they speak the word as it needs to be spoken, regardless of what obstacles may, they may face, regardless of the possibility of personal harm or loss. That's what Paul is praying for. I'm in chains already, you know, Paul says, but I want you to pray for me that I may be bold in this situation to speak the word of God as I ought to speak it. If you are in chains in Rome, as we believe Paul was when he wrote to the Colossians, you're anticipating going on trial before Caesar. What are you asking people to pray for you? Are you asking them, pray that I can get out of this mess. Pray that uh, Caesar's verdict will be innocent, that I, I, can, I can be set free. You notice Paul never asked for them to pray about that. He says, pray that I can speak the gospel as I ought to speak it. Whatever harm may come his way, he wanted people to pray that. In the early 1800s, in the South Pacific, there were many islands on which lived uh, people who, at least for a long, long time, had never heard the gospel. Many of them were cannibals. They ate human beings. In 1839, um, an outreach in, in uh, England called the London Missionary Society sent two men, James Harris and John Williams, to the island of uh, New Hebrides, that's, we call it now Vanuatu, um, to supposedly evangelize that island. Within 20 minutes after they had landed, they were killed by the cannibals and then eaten. About 20 years later, a man by the name of John Patton wanted to take the gospel to that place, and he was talking to an older friend about that. He wanted to go to this island that still had not been successfully evangelized or evangelized at all. He's talking to an old friend of his by the name of Dixon, and he, he said, told him about his plan, and Dixon said, uh, those people are cannibals. You'll be eaten. You'll be eaten by cannibals. Don't go. To which Patton replied, Dixon, you are advanced in years. Your own prospect is soon that you'll be laid in the grave and you'll be eaten by worms. He said, I confess to you that I can live and die serving God and honoring the Lord Jesus. And if I can do that, it will make no difference whether I'm eaten by worms or cannibals in the end. 
And he went. That was Paul's attitude, wasn't it? That's what he's saying, Colossians, you pray for me. That I can just speak it. Not in fear of man, not in fear of my life, not soft peddling or to changing it or failing to speak it, but to speak it as I ought to speak it. Even as I'm standing before Caesar or a cannibal or whoever it might be. Paul will write to Philippians in the same time frame that he wrote to the Colossians. And he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, that according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. With all boldness, speaking the word. And we're afraid to say something to somebody because we might lose a friend. Or they might get mad at us. Or they might call us a name. We need to pray for ourselves and pray for one another and pray for preachers like myself to be bold. And to say what's true and to say what's needed. Come what may. Stop looking at the possible consequences of things. And start looking at doing the right thing with the gospel. That's what Paul is asking that others pray for him about. When we pray evangelistically, we can also pray for specific requests from evangelists. One of the great things that we have here at Eastside is, as was mentioned in even the prayer tonight, uh, brothers and sisters that we have fellowship with really all over the world. We have quite a number in Africa. We have several in America, several in South America, uh, preachers that we're supporting, Christians that we know of in these areas, but we hear from the preachers in most of these places really regularly, and they'll send an email report to Wayne, and Wayne sends that, blasts that out to everybody, and so if you wanted to, you could, you know, look over those reports, and you will find in those reports, virtually every one of them, you will find requests for prayers about specific things. Maybe there are new converts and they're asking that we pray about their growth and their faithfulness. Maybe uh, they're going into a new area to preach the gospel. Maybe they've got health problems that are hindering their ability to go and preach the gospel and they're asking for help with those things. We've had quite a few of our brothers and sisters in foreign lands with health problems recently. Three or four of our gospel preachers. I heard from Fadzani just this afternoon whose mother is uh, quite sick. They had to take her to the provincial hospital there in Mutari in, uh, in Zimbabwe today. And uh, she needs some testing and some medicine and some things. And the thing about that is, I think about Fadzani, and I know you guys don't know him particularly. Gary's met him. But he's preaching in a really remote place in Zimbabwe. Uh, it's even hard to get there uh, for him or anybody, really. And when he has to take time away to take his mother to the hospital, two-hour drive away to the big city on the first day of the week, you know that's hindering his work. Besides his dear mother who's suffering. Lots to pray about there. And that's just one little report. What are we doing 
with those reports as they come in and those prayer requests that we get. You noticing those? Let's take time to notice those. Let's be a house of prayer for all nations and particularly for those that we are sharing in the gospel with. And as I've already indicated, let's pray for ourselves as evangelists. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been before the council and been treated pretty cruelly, really. But the council let them go. And so they assembled with uh, some of their own people in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, and they prayed. And they prayed, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. And, and notice that as, as they're praying, they're not talking about, you know, just Peter and John. But grant your servants that they may speak your word. And in verse 31, after that prayer was prayed, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word with boldness. They prayed for themselves, and the prayer was granted immediately. It's been observed that in the New Testament, it was seemingly the case that every member would spread the gospel. Every member felt responsible and privileged to spread the gospel, to be an evangelizer, if you will. When you go over to Acts chapter 8, the persecution that Saul instigated, just causing all sorts of problems in the churches throughout Judea and Samaria. Because of that, the disciples were scattered, but not the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And in verse 3, Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Verse 4, therefore those who were scattered, and that would not be the apostles, that would be everybody else, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Everywhere evangelizing really is the word there. They went everywhere evangelizing. We should include ourselves in prayers when we're praying evangelistically. As I said, the song that we sang, Lead Me to Some Soul Today, is exactly that kind of prayer. It's, it's written as an evangelistic prayer about me being evangelistic. Lead me to some soul today. Teach me, Lord, just what to say. Interesting note about that song. Uh, the first verse was written in the early 1900s and then a brother in Christ by the name of Ellis Crum, who became the editor of the Sacred Selection songbook that uh, everybody used to use a generation ago, added the next three verses. Verses 2, 3, and 4 were written by Ellis Crum. I have his picture on the wall in my office. He was a friend of my parents. Here's a brother in Christ who picks up these concepts and goes even deeper and further with them as he meditates on how he needs to be an evangelist. How we all need to be an evangelist. But the first verse, lead me to some soul today. Teach me, Lord, just what to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. Few there are who seem to care. Few there are who pray. Melt my heart. Fill my life. Give me one soul today. What a sentiment. 
What a prayer. That's the kind of prayer that we pray. That's the kind of song that we sing. We want to be evangelists for our Lord. So we pray for evangelists. We pray for the lost, as we've already indicated. It's right to pray for the lost. It's a good thing to do. Not that they be saved as they are, but that they be saved with the power of the gospel, changed with the power of the gospel, come into contact with the blood of Jesus through the gospel. It's right to pray for the lost. Paul prayed for them in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Israel, as a nation, was lost. Most of the Israelites of Paul's day were lost, had not accepted Jesus Christ, had not obeyed the gospel. But my, his prayer for them was that they would be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Pray for everybody, and that includes the lost. Prayer can be effective even for those who seem hopelessly lost. Do you know anybody that seems hopelessly lost? I do. I know some that seem hopelessly lost that were once saved. And I know some who seem hopelessly lost that never knew. But they're not hopelessly lost. Not if they're still living. Because prayer and the gospel are just that powerful. Have you ever known somebody that was just so tied up with this world and material things, whether it was money or their job or some sin or habit that had just encroached on them, some addiction that they had, and, and, and just like, you, you know, you couldn't pry them out of that with a crowbar, spiritually speaking. There's just seem, seems like there's no way that person is ever going to be any different, ever going to do any different. The disciples were surprised in Mark chapter 10 that a man who was a good man and a wealthy man could not be saved. And they asked Jesus, well, if that's the case, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So just keep praying for that lost person. Just realize that with God, all things are possible. The power of the gospel and the power of prayer. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think through the power, His power, that works in us. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says. And of course, we've already noted, James 5 and verse 16, that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's a powerful thing. Don't quit praying for the lost. For the lost whose lives intersect yours. For people that you come to know and care about and care about their eternal salvation. Pray for them. Prayer is a mighty weapon. 
It's a weapon in our conflict with Satan, his efforts against us personally and against the world. The weapons of our warfare, as we often note in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have a lot of weapons to use as Christians. They're not carnal weapons. But one of those weapons, I might tell you, is prayer. Prayer is a weapon that can bring down a nation. It's done it before. Prayer is a weapon that can change the course of history. It's done it before. How many things do we read about in Scripture happened because somebody prayed? It changed the course of human lives, of nations, of peoples. Prayer is a mighty weapon. There might be thoughts or arguments that are keeping a lost person from obeying the gospel or from returning to the truth. We can pray about those, that they would be defeated, those arguments and thoughts. There might be circumstances in a person's life that are hindering them from doing what they know they really ought to do. We can pray about the change in those circumstances. God can change things. Prayer is a mighty weapon. When we pray evangelistically, let's pray for open doors, for opportunities that are wide open, for the opportunity of the gospel to do what it does with its power in human lives. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we already noticed verse 1, he says that prayer is to be made for all men. He says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So when I pray about people being saved, I know that I'm praying something that's according to the will of God. That's what He wants too. That's what He wants too. And so we pray for a climate that's conducive to evangelism. So maybe the person's heart will be opened in some providential way. Or maybe... You know, the roadblocks will be removed that were keeping us from talking to this person about their soul. Or maybe an opportunity will present itself, whatever the case may be. But those are the kinds of things. Paul says even that the climate of a country, that we can pray for our leaders so that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness. Boy, that's tough to do nowadays, isn't it? To lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness. We need to pray for our leaders so that we can do that. And that will... Make evangelism more effective. Because God wants people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the whole point there. Pray for positive reception. I don't know how God works in human hearts. I know that once the gospel gets in there, He works with through the gospel. I think there are a lot of things God can cause to happen providentially, to sway attitudes. Of course, the final decision is always up to the person, isn't it? God's not going to force anybody. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul tells the Thessalonians, Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. In other words, Paul's saying, pray, pray for us as evangelists that the word that we speak, God's word, can run 
people's hearts and, and have free course just as it did with the Thessalonians. Paul says about them, they accepted the gospel not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which works in you that believe. And as the gospel has worked in us and worked in others who've been saved by it, Paul says you pray that it'll have free course and run in the lives of others as well. There's three quick points before we close this evening. And we pray evangelistically. Let's be a praying church, first of all. But let's, as part of that, make sure that we're praying about the spread of the gospel. Pray in faith. The Holy Spirit will help. We don't always know exactly how to say it, what's needed, what would be best, but the Holy Spirit knows what's in our hearts and knows how to take that request to God. The promise is in Romans 8 and verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know how we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I I, I believe that. I believe that I know that my words are not always what they should be, or sometimes I can't even find them. But God knows what I'm trying to say. And He knows the desires of the hearts of His people as they try to express them because of the great work of the Holy Spirit. Don't give up. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 that men ought always to pray and not faint. Trust God to help. Amazing passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Paul's talking about his work as an evangelist and things that he had to overcome to spread the gospel. But he winds that little section up by saying this. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. We're always going to win. When it, you know, no matter... How, how bad the score looks, <laughs> no matter how it seems like we're not getting anywhere. Paul recognized the triumph is in Christ. And God will help us gain the victory. And John writes in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God is so great. God is so great. Trust God to help you and help all of us as we take the gospel to the world. The lesson this evening has uh, helped us and that through our prayers, evangelism that's done by this church, that's done by us individually, that's done by us collectively, will be empowered all the more. God has blessed our efforts here at Eastside tremendously, especially those overseas efforts, with much fruit. And uh, we just need to keep praying that that will continue, that we'll be able to bear more fruit here in our own community. Let's pray. Let's pray for the salvation of those who are lost. There might be one here tonight who's lost. We're praying for you. We want you to see your need for Jesus Christ to see the emptiness of what the world has to offer 
and the richness and the beauty of what Christ has to offer. A life in Him, fellowship with His Father, and a hope of heaven, if you'll but obey. In faith, name His name. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. And rise to walk in newness of life. We're praying for you. Please come while we stand and sing.